Praise God. That wasn't almost right. It was right. Yes, that's right. Amen. Yeah. Great orator was speaking in a large hall. Hundreds and hundreds of people. And they were all just awed by his ability and the way he spoke. Every word unctioned just right. So at the end, he said, is there anything that you would like me to quote, to speak? And an old gentleman, weary, stood to his feet and he said, the shaking voice, he said, sir, could you, uh, could you quote the 23rd Psalm? And the fellow immediately thought, <laughs> this old codger is just trying to, he doesn't think I know the Bible. Well, he quoted the 23rd Psalm. Every, every pronunciation, every pronunciation mark was, you know, commas, and, and all of it was just, when he was done, the people were in awe. Then he looked out and he said, Now, sir, I ask you, could, could you come quote the 23rd Psalm? So the old man made his way up to the podium. And in a shaking voice, not the strongest voice, not the best oratory, but as he spoke, suddenly tears were in people's eyes. And when he finished, the great speaker came to the podium. He said, you've heard two people quote the 23rd Psalm. The first one knew the 23rd Psalm. The second one knew the shepherd. I want to know the shepherd today. Oh, hallelujah. I said, I want to know the shepherd today. Can you stand to your feet and give him some praise and glory right now? Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. I feel his presence in the house. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Bless you. You may be seated. One of the great things God did when he created man was to give him the freedom to choose. <clears throat> and I'm glad for that freedom. I said, I'm glad for that freedom. He gives us 24 hours in every day. And he said, now you can do with that whatever you choose. Well, the majority of us have to work. So we choose to give 8, 10, 12 hours to a job. I see uh, husbands and wives. And so time has to be given to spouses, or should be. Or should be. 
I saw children troop out of here, so we've got to give time to, to our children, our family. So we have all these, all these things that we choose to do or not to do. And in the choosing, there are some things that come to the forefront. <clears throat> and we call them priorities. We're coming to the end of the American pastime. We love baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. But I know people that from April till this time of the year, baseball is priority in their lives. And then you don't get a break. Then here comes the NCAA football season and NFL. and You don't have to, but people choose. I'm not going to miss, I'm not going to miss this football game, or I'm not going to miss this whatever. Priority. The fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important. For instance, the safety of the country takes priority over any other matter. This is the one I'm going to zero in on today. A thing that is regarded as more important than another. A thing that is regarded as more important, more important than another. For instance, I believe it could be said of many Christians today, the Word of God doesn't figure very high on their list of priorities. Is that all right? It's a nice decoration to have in the living room on the mantle. Or so many people pick it up and there's a cloud of dust that drifts off of it. So what is important to you? The tyranny of the urgent is a very small book. You hear me? Right. I said the tyranny of the urgent is a very small book, but it's held in a very large fist. And the message of the urgent is very uncomplicated. And it's very direct. But it's a warning to each and every one of us. There are times when the urgent blindsides me. Like a guided missile, it assaults and it, it, it destroys all excuses that I can use. So, right here at the beginning of this message, I give you this warning. Do not let the urgent, I said do not let the urgent take the place of the important in your everyday life. Oh, God, I feel your spirit, Lord. We hear so much. Oh, th th this is so urgent. We have this urgent need and urgent this and urgent that. 
And please hear me, the urgent will really fight. It will claw. It will scream for attention. It pleads for our time. It begs for our time and, and even makes us think we've done the right thing by claiming its, by calming its nerves. But hear the tragedy of it all. While we're putting out the fires of the urgent, which can become an everyday experience, the important was once again left in a holding pattern. And the important is neither demanding nor noisy. Unlike the urgent, it just patiently and quietly waits for us to realize its significance. So again, what is important to you? Can, can, can we just forget the urgent for a few minutes here? Can, can we just put it aside? You, you can pick it up after service on your way out if you'd like to, but I'm praying and I'm believing that by the time we leave here today, the urgent will not be as urgent as we thought it was. What is top priority in your life? Now, that's a big question. Maybe you need some time to think about it. Double jeopardy. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. You see, in some ways, people and organizations are very much alike in that both tend to lose vitality rather than gain it as time goes by. Both also tend to give greater attention to what they were rather than to what they are becoming. So much easier to look into the past, to smile on yesterday's accomplishments than it is to look ahead into the future and think about the probabilities and the possibilities that God for ha has for us tomorrow. Thank God for what he has done for us. We would not be here were it not for what he has done for us in past tense. But we cannot get to the point where we just look at yesterday's accomplishments and yesterday's overcomings uh, and forget that, hey, should God tarry, there's going to be a tomorrow there's going to be a next week. Uh, and the last I checked, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not past tense, but right now, doing God's will today. Forgetting, Paul said, those things are in the past. And looking unto the things that are in the future. I stretch, I, I strive, I do everything I can uh, for the high calling of God uh, in Christ Jesus. If we're not alert, if we're not careful, we can slump into a continuous focus on where we have been rather than on where we're going. What are we in the, pro are we in the process of becoming something more for God? Amen. As great as Paul was, he never reached the highest rung. There was always the more, more of you, Lord. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things. Yeah, 
everything that he treasured in life. He said, I've suffered the loss of it all. I chose to do that, that I might win Christ. Last I checked, God's church, God's people are not museum pieces placed and anchored on a shelf to collect dust. But God's church is alive. It's moving. It should be moving. It should be active with people called by him to make an impact on a world, amen, that doesn't know which end is up. Friend, listen, it doesn't take much to look into this world today and see that we are in desperate need of help. Amen. And the majority of people are turning to places and things. Uh, amen. That will not. Oh, yeah, they might bring a quick fix. Uh, amen. But I'm telling you, friends, the answer is still Jesus Christ. Jesus is still the answer. Though, though time and ages roll, Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for your soul. And though some may say he doesn't fit with their philosophy, uh, Jesus is still the answer. He's always been. He always will be. <laughs> and I believe to do what God has called for us to do in this last day and age, we need to determine some priorities. Amen. Some time ago, the Lord directed my thoughts to the book of First Thessalonians, mainly chapter 2. These two epistles were written centuries ago. They were written to a growing, thriving church. And I think it's very worthwhile to note in chapter 1 how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. Notice what Paul says. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also, but also in power, praise God, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God for the spoken word. Amen. And Paul could have, I mean, he could have wooed people. He sat at the feet of one of the brightest men of his day, Gamaliel. He was a brilliant man. He could have said words that just, wow, flabbergasted people. But Paul said, hey, along with that word, there was something else. Hallelujah. It didn't come in word only, but also in power. Amen. We need power in our words. Hallelujah. It can't just be something that we have read in a book, uh, but we have got to be in touch with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. And he will give us power. He said, don't take thought of what you'll say uh, when you're drawn before the magistrates and the courts. Uh, at that time, I'll give you what you need. Hallelujah. But you've got to be plugged in, friend. Hear me today, friends. It will be. I said it will be. It will always be. Not by might, not by power, 
but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6. Amen. Friends, we'll get nowhere without the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. There are people around us that have programs uh, that will far outdistance us, friends. Uh, but there is no, there is no substitution, uh, amen, for the Word of God uh, and the power that is in the Word. Pastor, thank you for the great introduction. I'm glad for the power. When first I heard of Pentecost, uh, I thought it was a shame uh, that such unholy teaching would be taught in Jesus' name. But they said it's in the Bible, and I did not want to doubt. So I said, I'll just go on down to hear them sing and shout. And it's real. It's real. I know it's real. Hallelujah. Why? It's the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry, Coca-Cola. Amen. You're a, many years too late. Uh, amen. We got the real thing in Acts chapter 2. Hallelujah. You want the real thing today, friend? Uh, you go to Acts chapter, you go to the birth of the church. Did you ever stop and think of. Uh, what were the conditions of these new converts in Thessalonica? Chapter 1, verse 6 gives us a glimpse into their daily living. <laughs> it says, having received the word in much affliction. <laughs> Jesus didn't pull punches. Jesus didn't say things, and then there are a bunch of asterisks to check, you know, this. And he didn't put things in such fine, fine print that you had to get huge magnifying glass to read it. He, he was just up front. He <laughs> said, so, man, they, they persecute me. Are, are you any better than, than me? So if they persecuted me, if they've given me a hard time, mark it down. You're going to get a hard time. And so many times when the pure, unadulterated word of God comes, uh, uh, there will be affliction. And these, these Thessalonians were suffering great persecution, mainly from the Jewish community. But as in every day and age since Pentecost, it would have been so easy. How many remember... Boxing 30, 40 years ago. Huh? And if one fighter is, I mean, he's just getting his clock clean. You know, his eyes are almost swollen shut. He's got blood flowing. And his opponent is just peppering him. Bam, 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 bam. Now, they don't do it anymore, but in those days, the manager could what? Throw in the towel. Throw in the towel. And friends, from the day of Pentecost to today, <laughs> amen, there have been times and many, many times when it would have been a fight. It would have been far easier, yeah, just to throw in the towel and call it quits. But oh, I like what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. Why? Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. I'm so glad I have found the way. Amen. Amen. It's being preached across pulpits today. There are many, many ways to get to heaven. Hey, that does not hold up in the light of Scripture. Amen. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. There's only one way. I said there's only one way. You must be born again. Hallelujah. So grow up. Well, you grow up. Alice, my eldest granddaughter, has a little toy poodle. And Cole is, oh, I don't know, 13, 14 years old now. And guess what grandpa is? thinking. It's not going to be too long until we'll either have to put coal down or he'll, he'll die. Brother Stacy, I remember my, my first dog. And I was away at youth camp. And my parents had the audacity to take my German Shepherd Flash and have him put down. To this day, I haven't forget. No. But I was, I was 16 years old. I cried like a baby. Now, I wish there was some way that Ellis wouldn't have to experience what I experienced. But life is life. And yeah, well, I'll help, help her through it. I know what you... And so, you know, we have those times. Uh, but listen, people, some people need to just grow up. You need to get off the bottle. Amen. You need to mature in your walk in Jesus Christ. You, some of you need to make that a priority when you leave here today. Uh, amen. Thank God for the preacher and thank God for the environment. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to get in the Word myself. Uh, amen. I'm going to spend time on my knees myself. Uh, and I'm going to start to grow up uh, into the child of God that He wants me to be. I came down with a nasty cold last Wednesday. I'm sure you can hear the <clears throat> results of that. But would you pray for me? <laughs> I have to go into Anchorage tonight, preach for Brother Shrack. Brother and Sister Shrack are on their 25th anniversary cruise in the Mediterranean. And I have to preach for him tonight. And then Thursday, I go to Bethel to do something I haven't done. Wow, since 1970, and that is preach a two-week revival. <laughs> wow. Can't remember the last time I've had to preach a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then two times on Sunday, and then turn around and do it the next week. 
So will you pray for me? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. But along with the affliction, there was something that helped them to be overcomers. And again, it was the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You can be an overcomer. I said, you, you get up every morning and you can look in the mirror and say, I am going to overcome today. And immediately the devil will start to drag up all, you know, well, look what happened here. Like, yeah, but that was yesterday. This is a new day. And I am claiming the promise. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. He has given us the Holy Ghost to help us to be overcomers. And then Paul pens these words. Second chapter, verse 1. I'd, I'd like to quote it from the NASB version. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Though he had not stayed long among them, his coming to them was not a wasted effort. Though the time had been brief and on occasion discouraging, it wasn't in vain. Can I help somebody today? I said, can I help somebody today? Whatever he has called you to do in his kingdom. And we're all called to do something. Amen. From the least unto the greatest. Paul let us know. Amen. You may not take a lot of consideration of your little toe, but it's a part of the body. Amen. Amen. No matter what you are in the body of Christ, no matter what you're doing, it is not in vain. I said it's not in vain. Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord said to the man with two talents, the same he said to the man with five talents that had gotten ten. He said, well done, thou good and faithful. You just be good and faithful in what God has called you to do. And friend, you're going to find it's not in vain. Amen. Everything in this life and in this world will end up at a dead-end street. But what you're doing for the kingdom of God is going to last throughout the ages of eternity. All I want to hear one day, well done, well done, well done. After declaring this fact, Paul then pinpoints characteristics in his life and ministry while in Thessalonica. And in doing so, he sets forth some very essential priorities for every church assembly, in every era, in any life. And I believe with all my heart the first and most important priority Paul had in his life was to be biblical. Amen. It's been mentioned here. Your pastor and talking in the office and again, again out here, the power that's in the word. Amen. I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, I'm glad. I'm glad for all the accompaniment and all the talent Amen. But amen. The power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power. I said it is the power of God. 
Oh, hallelujah. Paul said above everything else, I'm going to be biblical. And looking back at the times, the weeks that they were together, Paul recalls his initial impression. Verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much, amen, contention. Verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. And verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. You know, I'm sure there was a constant barrage of the urgent when Paul was there. There were constantly things on his mind, knowing he wasn't going to be there very long. There were all these urgent things uh, that came to Paul. Amen. But Paul said, uh, I'm going to make sure my life and my ministry are fixed on the most important thing, uh, and that is the Scriptures. Did you catch the thoughts as you read them? He spoke amidst strong current of public opposition. It was the gospel of God he shared. Oh, friend, don't get in arguments of philosophy, uh, men's thinking. Uh, amen. Bring the gospel to people. Amen. Years ago, there was an Amishman that came into the truth. John Miller became a mighty, mighty, mighty preacher of the gospel. But he said, when, when I was thinking of leaving the Amish faith, he said, different churches were coming and visiting. And I would ask questions, and, and they'd start coming with stacks of books this high, you know. Well, this is what this man said. But he said, those apostolics walked through the door, and they only had one book. And when I asked the question, they didn't say, well, John Wesley said this, uh, or Mark said this. Uh, hey, no, they took me to the Word of God. The Word of God will stand on its own. Doesn't need any props. Uh, doesn't need to be held up by anything. Uh, heaven and earth are going to pass away. But the Lord said, my Word, my Word will never pass away. very foundation of his being was not error or impurity or deceit, but it was the truth of the scriptures. <coughs> Furthermore, look at 1 Corinthians 9, 17. This is what he thought about the word. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel... <coughs> Is what? Committed. It's committed unto me. It's not just committed unto Pastor Herring. It's not just committed unto Brother Anthony and Brother Stacy and these other men that get up here and so very beautifully expound the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God, if you're a born-again child of God, born of water and spirit, uh, the Word of God is committed unto you. And I am persuaded that he is able 
to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Thank God for the word. I have a wonderful treasure, gift of God without measure, and so we'll travel together. My Bible and I. Oh, hallelujah. God, give us a fresh love for your word, Jesus. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. It's not just enough to read it and know it. I've got to love it. Hallelujah. I've got to fall in love with the word of God. And I don't care how long. I've probably been in this longer than anybody here. But, oh, God, give me a fresh love for your word. <laughs> I know it may sound old-fashioned. But the first and most significant priority you can cultivate in your life is to make the Scripture, His Word, a very vital part of your everyday life. Every day. A biblical mentality. Here, this is good. This is good. A biblical mentality is the secret of surviving the aimlessness of our day and age. Somebody needs to write that down. A biblical mentality is the secret of surviving the aimlessness of our day and age. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of years ago, had to say about the Word of God. He said, we must daily soak ourselves in the scriptures. We must not just study as through a microscope the linguistic and intricacies of a few verses, but we need to take our telescope and span the wide expanses of God's word, assimilating its grand theme of divine sovereignty into the redemption of mankind. He went on to say, it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language. Thank God for a heavenly language called the Holy Ghost. Uh, oh, but give me a scriptural language also. Amen. Give me a scriptural language also. And your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord so that your blood is bibbling, and the very essence of the Bible flows from you. Wow. Now, I find it quite interesting when we are really committed to the Bible and to biblical mentality and lifestyle. A lifestyle that is so old that, that it's new. But mark it down. It's also very rare. Very rare. Committed to a biblical lifestyle be, uh, leads to a lot of uh, self-examination. You have to see this in Paul by the words at the end of verse 4. He said, uh, 
who examines our hearts. What did David say in Psalm 51.10? Can you see it? Is it the first time you've ever seen it? Oh, create in me a clean heart, oh Lord. Amen. Brother Jim, we have to pray that tomorrow. Create in me a clean heart, oh Lord. Renew within me a right spirit. I can't understand people, and, and he didn't pay me to say this, okay? I can't understand people that get contrary and crosswise with the pastor. Now, you may not understand. You know, <laughs> the employee on the bottom of the rung, the word comes down, do this. And he goes to do it, and all of a sudden, why am I doing this? What's the purpose in doing this? And in law, as long as he maintains that mentality, that's where he's going to stay. But he sees the manager a little bit later. He said, can I talk to you a minute? Sure. He said, can you just share with me? I mean, I did it, and, you know. I didn't understand it. But, and so the manager begins to share a little bit with him, and it's like a light goes on. Okay, you know, it's not long until he's a couple rungs up on the ladder. Amen. Why? Because he's beginning to think along the lines of his pastor or his boss. Amen. Praise it. If you stay in the Bible and you stay on your knees, I guarantee you, you're going to be in perfect harmony with the man of God. Second priority, and I only have about 10 more to go. Second priority is we, we need to be authentic. We need to be real. I like the way Paul talks about himself in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For a moment, he shifts the emphasis from the message to the messenger for neither at any time used we flattering words as ye know nor a cloak of covetousness God is witness verse 6 nor of men sought we glory neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ this tells me that above all else the Apostle Paul was real. He was so secure in his walk with God that he peeled off all the masks of cover-up, stood vulnerably before God and all others saying, this is what and who I am. What did Martin Luther say? As he nailed the theses to the door, here I stand. Here I stand. Crawling 
across rough cobblestones till his knees were shredded and bleeding, taking his boots off and pouring hard, hard peas into them, and then putting the boots on and walking all day long. Taking a, a, a little whip and, you know, whipping his back. And finally, the, the great revelation comes. That's not making me any better in the standing in the eyes of God. And he gets, it was a great revelation. There was more to come, we know, but what a great revelation. Hey, the just shall live by faith. And in a society, amen, when the Pope's word was law, he dared, hey, this is who I am. This is where I stand. Hey, saints, today we need to be that way. This is who I am. I'm a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy roller, born again by the power in Jesus. That's who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. A great, great apostle, a genuine stalwart of the faith, yet he never pushed to be in the limelight. Mr. Webster defines the word authentic by suggesting a few things that authentic is not. Number one, it's not imaginary. Number two, it's not being false. It's not imitation. I guess in our day and age, the best way to put it would be not being a phony. I really believe we should make this one of our top priorities. Surrounded by numerous religious types to whom it seems everything is always fantastic, super, incredible. Can we work at just being real? Shortly after going to Kenai, the honeymoon period was over. And kind of discouraged, I called my friend G.A. Parrish, Brother Parrish. He answers, hello, we talk. So. I said, well, how are things going, Brother Parrish? He said, well, they're not going too good, Brother Churchill. That was the last thing I thought I would hear from G.A. Parrish. But as we talked and as he encouraged me, when I hung up that phone, I said, thank God for a friend that's real. Being real means at times we're free to question, to admit failure and weakness, to confess wrongs, to declare truth. When a person is real, they don't always have to win. They don't always have to place in the top ten. They don't always have to make a big impression or appear to be so much more spiritual than others. Authentic people, they usually enjoy life more than most folks. 
The main reason is because they don't take themselves too seriously. They actually let people see them when they're not just laughing, but when they're crying. Share ye one another's. Share your burdens. That's what the body of Christ is for. One of the reasons that we can bear one another's burdens. You're my brother. You're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we're going to make it. I said together we're going to make it. <laughs> I'm not going to let you fall. Amen. I said I'm not going to let you fall. Praise God. I'm going to be there. Oh, God, I want to be real. They take life one day at a time. They roll with the punches. I like this. They have no fear of being found out. You know why? Because they have nothing to hide. Oh, God. So, be biblical. Be real. Let me give you just one more. Be up to date. Paul said, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which, is, which also performs, uh, amen, its work in you who believe. We, we, we've got to be relevant, friends. And I believe we can be relevant, Pastor Herring, and not have to compromise one iota. And if we're hoping to reach our generation, in this day and age, we must make relevance a very high priority. That's what Jesus did. He met people as they were, not as they ought to be. He met angry young men. He met blind beggars. He met proud politicians. He met loose living streetwalkers, dirty naked victims of demonic possession, grieving parents, and they all had equal time. The Lord's too busy to have time for these children. Man, he rebuked him and he said, Suffer not. Amen, little children to come unto me, uh, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And if you offend one of these, it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and cast into the deep. Jesus had time for everybody. It didn't matter where they were on the spectrum, friend. Uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel or Jarius, a ruler of the synagogue. Remember, Jesus comes back. Just 20 to 12. 
Jesus comes back and it stops snowing, so praise God, that's good. The Lord comes back from the country of the Gadarenes where he had cast the legion of devils out of that man. And when he gets back to the other side, a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, meets the Lord. Now, these guys are the ones that are constantly after Jesus, trying to degrade him and put him down. But here's one of them who swallows his pride and said, Lord, would you come? My only daughter, 12 years old, is at the point of death. Jesus said, let's go. He didn't say, well, you know, you guys, you always giving me a hard time. You know, you come back in a couple days. No, 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 no. Let's go. And as they're going, there's a crowd. They're being thronged and touched. And suddenly in the midst of it, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Peter says, Lord, they're being jostled all the time. There are many people. Yeah, but there's been a special touch here. And even though Jairus' daughter lies at the point of death, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, amen, he has time to stop, amen, and take care of a little woman who had spent all she had on physicians and was growing worse anyway. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, he has time. He's relevant. Uh, he's up to date with everybody. And what happened? As this was taking place, suddenly one of Jairus' servants comes up behind him said, your, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the master anymore? In other words, there's no answer now. Jesus looked at Jairus said, Jairus, only believe. Amen. Amen. Jairus, come on. We're still going to your house. Uh, amen. Jairus, uh, when you sit down to dinner tonight, it's not just going to be you and mama. It's going to be you, mama, and your little girl. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. He was a relevant God. We cannot walk around looking down our noses on other people because they may not have the same revelation we have. Amen. We've got to reach to them. We've got to show them our gospel is relevant. He was the epitome of relevance, and he still is. I'm closing, but for us to remain relevant, I believe we have to keep the cross at the center of all we do. I believe today, in a day and age when all around us, everybody is saying, the cross is no longer relevant. When denominations are going through their hymnals and they're tearing out all songs that have to do with the blood. That friend tell me, said, Stuart, I, I can't remember I heard. The last time I've heard anything about the crucifixion or the blood of Jesus Christ at our church. You see, too many have hauled the cross out of sight. You know, out of sight, out of mind. The impression given to the world today is that the cross does have a place, but that place is in the cloistered halls of seminaries and Bible schools 
or made beautiful beneath the soft shadows of stained glass windows. But oh, please don't desecrate the cross uh, by putting it in a common everyday workplace. Commerce has no time for the cross. In the corridors of higher learning, any kind of learning institution, the cross doesn't have a place. But I'm asking you, does the world today really need to see more of the old rugged cross everywhere it turns? Because here's how I feel about it. You can go ahead and stand. I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On a town garbage heap. <laughs> crucified at a crossroad of politics so cosmopolitan they had to write his title in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Crucified at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. Because the truth of the matter is that is exactly where he died. And that is exactly where we as his followers need to be. And that is what the church of today ought to be all about. Amen. I'm giving a general altar call here today. Amen. I said I'm giving a general altar call here today. Let's remember the tyranny of the urgent will, will always outshout the important, the essentials if we let it. But let us determine not to let that happen. I promise you as we begin to do this, our walk with the Lord will become something that is absorbed, not just worn we will assimilate it. It will be incarnated in us. And if there is anything that will catch the attention of preoccupied people fighting the fires of the urgent, it's God's truth incarnated. These men that turn the world upside down I believe can re be repeated in our day and age today. Oh, can we love the Lord? Can we love Him today? Come on. Amen. Don't let the urgent take the place of the importance in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.